but we have a tendency to watch it from time to time. And uh, one of our favorite lines from that movie, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Throughout the movie, he uses that word, inconceivable. And, um, and so I was thinking about that as I was preparing for today's message, because we're going to be talking about something that um, a lot of churches don't talk about anymore. Um, it's uh, one of those difficult messages, and, uh, and it's about the issue of hell. And if you were to ask people what their definition of hell was, you'd probably hear a bunch of things, and you'd probably come back and think, I don't think that word hell means what you think it means, <laughs> at least from what it talks about in Scripture. And so we're going to be talking about that today. And, and here's the sad thing. A lot of people think it's inconceivable that a loving God would send people to hell. And so we need to understand that from Scripture, what that means. What, what, what does it mean that people will find themselves in an eternity in, in hell? And, and whether we want to redefine what hell is, or, or maybe we want to believe that there is no such thing, the problem with that is what, whether we do either of those things, it doesn't take away from the reality of it. And it doesn't take away from the fact that people are going to end up there one day. So we want to talk about it because it's important. Um, it's something that we need to understand as we're in the series All In, All Out. We're talking about some of these difficult things. Because as Christians, God's called us to do certain things, to be a certain way, to live a certain way. In fact, on the first week, uh, and again, we're looking, we're, we're hearing from Jesus himself. And I think it's important when we deal with these difficult situations that we hear from Jesus himself, um, God the Son. And so for our, our first week, we looked at Mark chapter, um, or Luke 14, pardon me, Luke 14, and Jesus describes for us what a disciple is. And a disciple is anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ who has asked God to forgive them of their sins and are trusting in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. Anyone who has done that is a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We talked about, you know, some people think, some Christians think, well, there's different levels. You know, you have your C1, C2, and then you have your D1, D2, D3, and, and the really mature ones are the ones that are, you know, sharing their faith. And then the real mature ones and the real Christians are pastors and missionaries and that type of thing. That, not according to what Jesus said. Jesus said that anyone who comes to him is a, his disciple, a Christian. And there are people who have counted the cost, and so they're living all out. Their life appears radical. Why? Because they're sacrificing themselves. Where before they lived for themselves, now they're living for other people, to love other people, to care for other people, to meet their needs in order to represent Christ and to share, ultimately, the message that Christ has for them. They've released their possessions and, and we learned, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but they release their possessions. Why? Because all their possessions are God's. And it's, it's all used to accomplish Jesus' mission here on earth, that he's working through us now. And that, what is that? Well, that's so that we impact others spiritually. He uses the illustration of salt. And how when salt is not in food, we know that. Man, do I know that when salt's not in food. And I was telling, you know, Kim will salt the food, and I go put more salt on it, okay? I just, I take blood pressure medicine so I can eat salt. So we impact others spiritually. People should know that we're in their lives, and if we're not in their lives, they should recognize that because we're, 
were responding to them as Christ. And so they would want that in their lives. Week two, uh, we looked at Matthew 25, where Jesus gave us a parable. And basically the truth out of that parable was that Jesus invests in us financially. In other words, he gives us the money we have. Because again, the, the word talents there, he's talking about money. He's not just talking about resources. He's not talking about time. A lot of times Christians want to, you know, redefine things so it's not so, you know, it doesn't hit them in their pocketbook. But Jesus says that he gives us money, like the master gives the slaves money, and that they're supposed to then invest that in making the, the business of the master bigger, better, more effective. And that as Christians, that's what we're supposed to be doing. God has given us financially, and that money is to then be brought together as a church family, not for me to have a nicer vehicle, not for me to have multiple homes, not for me to have an airplane, but for we as a church family to come together financially and to be able to impact this community for Jesus Christ. And when, we, when we're able to do that and we give sacrificially and, and gratefully, then we can do more things. We can impact more people. And so that's what Jesus is saying that. And, and then today we're going to look at this issue that Christians are all in for Jesus and live all out to rescue people from hell. Because see, growing Jesus' church means helping people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what growing His church means. When we talk about using our finances, pooling our finances together to do that, that's what we're ultimately going to do. And we're going to see people come to Christ. And, and I've said this numerous times. You know, it's great. I, I, if, if we have Christians coming to our church and, and new people come in and, and they're already following Christ, that's awesome. That's great. But we have empty seats here because you have friends and family, and I have neighbors, since my family lives out of state, I have neighbors who need Christ. And we need to see that's how we grow his church. We don't grow his church by moving Christians from local bodies of Christ to local bodies of Christ. And so we want to see people come to Christ. Jesus has done the work. We need to spread the word. And so to be effective at that, we need to answer some questions, some questions that your friends and family are asking, some very basic questions about hell. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is hell, why is there a hell, and how do people escape hell. And I've given you guys notes. I think everybody should have notes so you can uh, take those home and use those. Um, get, it, you know, get them in your head and your heart and then be able to respond to people as you have those conversations. Well, turn to Luke 16. And uh, Jesus tells another parable uh, about a couple guys, and uh, one is a, an unnamed rich man, and one is a, a named Lazarus um, uh, poor man. And just really quickly, uh, just because a guy is rich doesn't mean he went to hell, okay? That's not what put him in hell. And just because Lazarus was poor doesn't, isn't why he went to heaven, Okay? There's some things that Jesus is attempting to teach the Pharisees at this point um, that we're not going to get into all the details of this. What we want to do is we want to use this as a jumping off point for what Jesus teaches about hell. Okay, So we want to read through this really quickly. Uh, this is a parable. Again, uh, some people believe it might be um, true to life since he uses Lazarus, but again, we're not going to get into the details and 
the important thing here is what's he saying about hell? So it says this. Now there is a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man, man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. That's in, the, in um, um, Jewish understanding, that would be heaven, okay? Presence of God. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, Greek word for hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus in his bosom. In other words, so Lazarus is there with Abraham in heaven. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. But he said that I beg you, so the rich man says, I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the Bible. Okay? They, that's what their Bible was then. Today we have Moses, the prophets, and the New Testament. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And many people believe that he's talking about himself there. Jesus is talking about himself. That even if Jesus himself rises from the dead, people won't believe and won't be able to be freed in that sense from hell. So let's look at some of these answers uh, for these simple questions that we have. So what is hell? Well, first of all, what it's not. We want to run through some things that it's not. First of all, hell is not an eternal party. Okay, so I've had people even say this to me. When I was a carpenter, we'd, you know, you get up, I get somebody up on the roof and they can't get back down quickly. And so you just start talking about, hey, you know, what do you believe and, you know, what's your faith and what do you think about Jesus and all kinds of Inevitably, you get to hell. And uh, they're like, well, I didn't see the party. You know, me and my friends, we're going to go hang out, drink booze, and we're going to have a great time. Well, according to Jesus, who, by the way, is God who created hell, that's not what that is. All right, it's not a big party. Secondly, it's not a scare tactic to get people to live good lives. So, unfortunately, there's a lot of churches who will use hell as a way of controlling people's actions. Okay, but that's not what it's for. Going along with that, it's also not a metaphor. So some people would say, you know, the very um, you know, intellectual ones will say, well, it's just a metaphor for something else. So really quickly, a biblical metaphor if they understood Scripture, a biblical metaphor always understates the reality. What do I mean by that? A metaphor in Scripture is um, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Well, we all understand that Jesus is more than bread, right? We get that? Jesus is greater than bread. Right? Okay. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, I don't know. <laughs> like, if we're talking wheat bread, I'm all over that. 
Um, which, right away, if you, if you have bread and it has a little bit of a garlic dust on it, don't put eggs on it. I tried it this week. Not happening. Oof. Anyways, so the metaphor is something lesser than what the reality is. What, he's, what they're trying to get across is, as bread is what sustains us, especially if you're Norwegian like me, we love pastries and bread, that if that's our basic um, thing that maintains our lives, Jesus is greater than that. He maintains our physical lives, but even more so, he maintains our spiritual lives. So it's always understated. So even if hell is a metaphor in Scripture, the reality is far worse than what we're going to hear today. Okay, so it's not a metaphor for something less. Biblical metaphors are always understated. It's always talking about something that's far worse or far greater than what the reality is. And so, you know, yeah, so it would be pretty bad. It's, uh, some people would say, well, it's a place for the worst sinners. You know, Hitler, definitely going to hell. You know, uh, the molester, definitely going to hell. The, the mass murderer, going to hell. I mean, we, we have in our minds, okay, here's certain people who are definitely going to hell, but, you know, I'm not going. I'm not that bad. So I'm not going to be going to hell. Let me just read you a few verses that Jesus, um, as he's talking to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they are the, the ultimate. I mean, they are living perfect lives, religiously speaking. They are the good people of the world. They are doing Moses' law the best, as anybody. I took two, ver- two passages, John 8 and then Matthew 23, and they're basically dealing with the same thing um, that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says this, If God were your father, Pharisees, you would love me. For I have proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Why? Because you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. In a very similar conversation that's in Matthew, he says, You serpents, you brood of vipers, he'd earlier called them hypocrites, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Listen, hell is not just for the worst of the worst. It's also for the religious. Because what's Jesus saying? What has Jesus been teaching? What has everybody who has written in Scripture been saying? That salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Receiving God's forgiveness of our sins when we do that. They were rejecting Jesus. The religious people were rejecting Jesus. And because they rejected Jesus, that's what was going to be sending them to hell. Okay? It's, in one sense, God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there because God has provided the way out. And so lastly, it's not a place God looks forward to sending people. This is, God's not some God of judgment who's, who gets his kicks out of seeing people he's created going to an eternity without him. That's not what he desires. In fact, look what he desires. 1 Timothy 2 and Romans 5. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God. What is? That we should be praying for our, our leaders. And what? Praying that they accept Christ. We should be praying for our president. The vice president evidently already accepted Christ, so that's pretty cool. 
but all the people in his cabinet, our mayors around the area, okay, people who are in authority, we need to be praying for them, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's desire is that everybody on this earth who has ever lived would understand what the truth is. What's the truth? That God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of his, God the Son, Jesus Christ, died in our behalf. That's the only way of escape, by the way. It's not like God saying, I'm just going to pigeonhole this escape in this one area and hopefully people find it. Okay? It's the only way for our sin to be forgiven. Only God could die in eternal death for all of us, for all of our sins, for an eternity. Only God can do that. And he did through Jesus Christ. And so it's not something that God wants to do, desires to do, and ultimately it's something that man does to himself. So then what is hell? What's this? Summary. A place of eternal conscious judgment for those who died without accepting God's forgiveness. Now, I'm going to try a little bit of an illustration. Um, I've got my I've got Vanna, I mean uh, Dalton coming up. He's going to help me. I'm going to tie this to my finger just in case he rips my arm off. All right. So he's going to take this. So we're going to try to get into our minds. What does, what does eternity look like? All right. So if we think about time starting here, this is creation. Time starts. And Dalton's going to briskly, without ripping my arm off, take that on out. He's going to keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. Basically, Dalton, we love you, but we don't even want to see you. So, Dalton has quickly gone all the way up to Oregon. <laughs> so he's All right, so pull that tight, would you, my friend? So, ow! <laughs> all right, so this is just running ongoing, all right? And at some point in time... There's a little mark here. It's hard for you guys to see. But that's your lifetime or my lifetime. Sometime after creation, you and I are born. And we live for maybe 80, 90, 100 years, right? Maybe less, maybe a little bit more. But that's about it. The problem is when we die, we spend an eternity wherever we're going to end up. Lord willing, it's heaven. In fact, we can't even say, you know, we're going to stay there forever because that's time-related. There's not going to be a sense of time. There's not going to be a sense of when will this end. It's just going to be ongoing heaven or ongoing conscious judgment for sin. All right, Dalton, you come back in. Oh, he's, going to take, he's, he's taking eternity with him. Oh, that's kind of weird. I don't even know what that means. So I'm not sure if that helps you, but to kind of get a, an idea that, okay, this is more than just living here on this earth. There's far more in the future. So what is hell? Here's how Jesus describes hell. By the way, Jesus talks more about hell than any other person in Scripture. Okay, So here's how he, here's how he describes it. It's a place of fire. So again, if it's a metaphor... It's worse than fire. All right? Matthew 10, the body and soul continually destroyed. What that means is 
that it's never destroyed. It's always in the process of becoming destroyed, but it never ends. It's ongoing. Matthew 25 that we looked at two weeks ago, outer darkness, wailing, gnashing of teeth, eternal punishment, which was originally for Satan and his demons. We get that, right? Satan should be in hell. Demons should be in hell. We get that. But now those others who reject Jesus, like Satan and the demons do, sadly find themselves there. Mark 9, it's a place of unquenchable fire. Luke 16, what we just read here, uses the word torment, agony, no comfort, no way to warn those still alive. This is an eternity separated from God in darkness. And when you talk about darkness, you've ever been, um, we were, I don't like to do this, but one time we were in a, a cave um, down in Kentucky. Unfortunately, they had some lights on, but I've been, I've been told by some who go into those and then they turn the lights out on the people, and you can't even see your hand in front of your face. <laughs> I don't go into those places, by the way, because I'm a little claustrophobic. Um, but that's hell. Utter darkness. Can't see your hand in front of your face. Feeling, sensing this, this ongoing torture and torment. It's a terrible place to be. So why does God have a place for hell? Why is there a hell? Well, first of all, God's justice and man's depravity demand it. What do I mean by that? Well, Habakkuk, this is an Old Testament prophet. We don't talk a lot about a Habakkuk, but if um, you know, maybe it's if you're thinking about having kids in the future, or if uh, you know you're a grandparent and your child is Habakkuk. You know, think about that for a name. Be kind of happy, or you know, maybe <laughs> um, Anyways, he's, this is what he says about God: Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. God is holy, which means he's completely separate from mankind. And he's pure. He's righteous. He can't allow sin in his presence. You know, a lot of times, we, you know, we're, we, we'll kind of um, measure sin, right? And we kind of say, well, you know, this is worse sin, this is a, a better sin, and, and then, you know, we respond to people based on that. Listen, in God's eyes, all sin is sin. You, you, you do a, a little white lie, that's, you'll be guilty of hell. In fact, that's what James says. For whoever keeps the whole law, in other words, whoever can do, do everything right, but offend in one point, tell a little white lie, he's become guilty of all. And so in God's eyes, sin is sin. Sin is punishable by an eternity in hell because we've sinned against an eternal, infinite God. Secondly, God's sovereignty demands it. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians. He says this, For since by a man came death, talking about Adam, by a man also came resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also Christ all will be made alive. In Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, in other words, Christ is the first one to die and rise again. After those who are in Christ at his coming, so then there's the rapture, we've talked about that in the past. Then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. What am I saying there? God's promised 
to abolish sin and abolish death. He's promised to take care of those things. So if it doesn't happen, he's not sovereign. He's not God. Because he's unable to fulfill his own promise. He's unable to defeat sin and death. And that's what he's promised to do. So there has to be that. And we want him, we want him to defeat sin. We want him to take care of injustice. You know, when you think about it this way, one of the reasons why we want that to happen is all of us have been, all of us have people sin against us, right? And we've never, and maybe for many of us, I don't know how many, but many for, maybe for many of us, we feel like we can't um, get back at them. It's not fair what they've done to us. But knowing that God is a God of justice, that God will take care of that situation, that person, then we were able to kind of step back and say, okay, all right, I can, I can leave this in God's hand because God will take care of that person better than I could ever do. And so I'm just going to leave him in God's hand. Jesus, I mean, God even said, vengeance is mine. And so he's going to be the one who takes care of those things. And so it's, it's actually a comfort to us that there is such a thing as hell, especially if we've been hurt unfairly. And the last one is this. God's love and man's dignity Dignity demands it. Now this is, this is you got to kind of think on this one, all right? Put on your thinking caps, as my teacher used to say. John 3.16, we're all familiar with this, right? So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever he forces into a relationship with him will not perish but have eternal life. Right? Is that, is that what that says? No. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love... And man's dignity, hand in hand, there has to be hell in order for those two things to happen. God loves, and he loves sacrificially, and he's offered to take our eternal punishment. But because he loves us, loves looking out for the best of somebody else, no matter what the cost is, right? God's not going to force himself on people. God's not going to make it if, if you didn't want to be with God on earth, he's not going to force you to be with him in heaven. That's not who he is, because he's a God of love. He cares. And so what does he, what's he do? He says, hey, here's all the information. I, I've sent my son, Jesus. I've given you the Bible. My son is the one who's talked about it more than anybody else in the Bible. I'm warning you. I've supplied the, the way of escape for you. Now you need to make a choice. Because you are made in the image of God. You are made with free will. You are made with the ability to choose, and that's dignifying to you. The problem is, if a person says, I don't want your salvation, then sadly, that person goes into a Christless eternity. That's the dignity of man. We don't want a God who forces us to do anything especially into a relationship. I don't know, I, I've forced, for, fortunately, I've never had somebody force me into a relationship with them. Now, Kim makes it really easy to be in a relationship with her because she's awesome, okay? And so it was easy to initiate that relationship. And that's how God kind of wants, he, he wants us to understand how awesome he is. 
And so we want that relationship. And we want it to last forever. But he won't force us into it. And then that brings us to our last question. How does somebody escape? Well, the answer that I've been laying out there pretty much the entire time, and I think we know, is Jesus. Again, Jesus is the one who talked about hell the, mo- the most in Scripture. And he does it because he loves us. He does it because he's warning us. You remember the guy in the parable? The rich man? First he says, hey, go, go tell my brothers. Interesting. He can't leave hell. He doesn't even ask to leave hell because he knows he can't get out. So he can't come back to life because he's spiritually dead. He can't come back to life to warn anybody. So then he says, hey, send Lazarus. Lazarus has spiritual life. He's with God in heaven. But you notice, Abraham says, even if somebody could come back to life. In other words, a person who dies and goes to heaven doesn't come back to life. Won't come back to life. And if I could just say this gently, would never, ever want to come back to life. That person is in the presence of perfection. Perfectly healed. There's no way in the world they would ever want to come back. And even if they could, like Jesus, people still wouldn't believe. He's given us the Bible. He's given us Jesus in the flesh. And then Jesus has given the world you and me. We're the ones responsible There are people in hell today who are saying, thinking, potentially, if they can, please somebody go tell my family and friends to not come here. And there are people in heaven who are saying, please, those of you who know you're going to be in heaven, Tell people how to get here. That's kind of what we should get from this this parable that Jesus is telling us. Listen, 2,000 years ago, God the Father sent God the Son. And then God the Son died, rose again, left, and then gave us the mission, empowered by His Holy Spirit, to be the ones that are supposed to go and rescue people from hell. He's done the work. We just need to spread the word and let people know. I was thinking, like, how, do we, how do I explain this? How do I help people grasp this? And Sometimes Facebook's a good thing. And I saw something on Facebook and it jarred my memory. And So I went and I found this video. And this might give us a little bit of a help. We decided to make the call on the radio. All available boats. This is the United States Coast Guard board, the pilot boat from New York. Anyone want to help with the evacuation of Lower Manhattan? Report to Governor's Island. When that call came on the radio, they were coming. 
I was uncertain of who was going to respond. About 15, 20 minutes later, they're just boats all across the horizon. Literally a hundred targets converging on the lower part of Manhattan. When we came out of that dust cloud, tugboats, I've never seen so many tugboats all at once. There was just a, like a fleet of tugboats headed to Manhattan. If it floated and it could get there, it got there. All different size shapes and form. I mean, and they were zooming across this water. Ferries, private boats, party boats. I worked on the water for 28 years. I've never seen that many boats come together one time that fast. One radio call and it just came together just that fast. Ferries, private boats. Did you hear what the third one was? Party boats. Imagine if the, the skippers of those boats, the owners of their private of those private boats, imagine if they thought, you know, hey, listen, my boat really looks silly. Or I wonder what people are going to think of my boat, or, or how I brought my boat up to the dock, or how I presented the boat to them to get in. Imagine if they're like, well, I don't want to scratch my boat, you know, because this isn't a really good slip to put my boat in. I don't want to scratch it. It would be inconceivable of anyone on the waters that day that they would not have gone to rescue the people on Manhattan. If we heard about somebody who had turned around, there would be news reports about this one person who decided to turn his boat around and not help. We've got people. On the edge of an island, with their eternity in front of them. Those people didn't know whether they were going to live or die, and we know now that you know, they were going to be safe, they were away from the towers, and they didn't know that. God's given us this incredible responsibility to share the word. We just need to drive up to people. You know, walk up to people to be all out. I just love those. I couldn't watch the video in my office. I was crying when I was watching it. Just loved all the boats. Just it was the it was the largest maritime rescue in the world, greater than Dunkirk in World War II. That many boats were involved. So what's our takeaways for this morning? I'm going to have Cable in the band, Caleb in the band come back up. I jokingly call him Kaleeb sometimes, and they almost came out when I said that. I just want to, as they come up, I just want to say this. If you're here this morning, so one of the takeaways is this. If you're uncertain about what your future is, if you were to die today and praying that that doesn't happen, but if, if you were, do you know for sure where you would end up? Would you end up in the arms of Christ, or would you end up in this eternal conscious place of judgment? God's made the way out. And so I just want to do this this morning. You just go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm, You don't need me to... I don't save you. It's just you having a conversation with God. And so I just want to do this. If there's anybody here this morning who doesn't have that certainty, just, and you'd like to pray this morning, 
And I can lead you in a prayer that kind of helps people out. I can do that for you, though you don't have to. Just go ahead and raise your hand, and I can do that for you. If not, that's fine too. It means we, that means pretty much everybody's probably certain. Okay? Looks like everybody's certain. All right, so go ahead and open your eyes. That's good. Thank the Lord for that. That's awesome. But now we have something that we need to do. So those of us who are certain of heaven, we need to commit. This is our challenge to you. So all three campuses are doing this. This is our challenge to you who are followers of Jesus Christ, disciples, Christians, believers, it's all the same thing. That you pray for three people and then you commit to invite those three people to church on the 29th. We're going to start a new series called Why Believe. And so it's going to be a series about why people should follow Jesus Christ. And so we're called to do it. We're supposed to bring our ships, our boats up to people but we can pray first, so God gets their hearts prepared, gets our hearts prepared. So I, if you're willing to pray for three people, and if you're willing to invite those three people to church on the 29th, here's what we want to do. During the song, as we're singing, we'll be standing at that point. Just slip out from where you're sitting, come up here, and you can grab one of these bracelets. I've been wearing one all morning, and they're on either side. So just come. You can knock down the pyramid. We just, Justin and I thought that looked cool, so we thought we'd do that. Um, but just grab one of those, slip that on as a reminder to be praying for those. And we're going to have these out next week uh, as well. The other one is, you need to sign up to serve at the Northwood Fall Festival. We've been given a great opportunity to serve the community in the Bounce House area. So all the families who are showing up there, we're going to have our Grace Point shirts on. And if you don't have one, you need to get one ordered. Information at the Information Center, get one ordered. And we're going to be in orange and gray, and we're going to represent Christ as Grace Point Church so you need to sign up for that at the Information Center. Be a part of that with us. And we're going to do that commitment for the bands as Caleb leads us. You want me to come up and pray at the end, or you want to pray? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll be back. One, two. I'll go ahead and stand up. I'll go ahead and stand up.